Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, JetBlue plans to bring its jets to London, just as India's jet is increasingly struggled to fly its jets anywhere at all. Airlines and Boeing continue to grapple with the impact of the 737 MAX grounding, and we look at the Shanghai-based private carrier, which is one of the rising stars in the Chinese market. My name's Graham Dunn, and joining me to talk through all this and more is my airline business colleague, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah. Tough press week, a lot going on. So. <laughs> Some weeks you have stories which, in print, you never know mm. when when they're going to end or, or you know, at what point you're, they're, they're moving so fast. And the, the story around Jet Airways, um, the Indian carrier, which has had a string of uh, challenges over these last few mm. months, is exactly that and remains the case even as we speak now. You're right, yeah. So um, AB went to press on, 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 goes to press on a Friday and we were trying following the jet story as closely as possible um, up to that point. I think when we went to press, um, as you say, compared with now, I'm not sure there's a great deal more clarity on, on what's happening. I mean, the, the, the things that are clear is they, they've got very few aircraft left in service. I think following their own reports to the stock exchanges and, and local media reports, um, we're looking. I mean, they're down to single figures. I think. I mean, Jets had problems for for some time, but the mm. um, really since the end of January, they've they've been uh, defaulting on on the aircraft, and they've been regularly updating the stock market mm. with um, you know there are three aircraft that it's grounded because of this, and that situation's been carrying carrying on for some time. Jet originally its fleet was around 120 aircraft. Exactly, and only months ago, yeah, it was looking, it was, yeah, a big airline, so um, the, the change is, is so significant. Over. One of the crucial elements is having a fleet of um, 20 aircraft or more, which is the criteria that India has for um, airlines to operate international services. That's right, so yeah, on Friday, that was one significant development, is that they stopped international service, that was confirmed by the UK CAA, I think, on, on Friday, after lots of media reports suggested that was happening. It wasn't immediately clear how much that was to do with the 20 aircraft limit or whether it was just a symptom of, of, of you know, their, their struggles really playing out. But um, So, yeah, they're, they're down to, I think, and most media reports suggest they're down to kind of domestic services now to keep the airline ticking over. And then on Friday as well, the deadline passed for, for new investors for an expression of interest to the consortium of banks that, that are look, looking after... Uh, but, jets finances so because it had looked um as though um a kind of solution or a, a way forward has, uh, had been hammered through when uh, there was this um uh, restructuring resolution and this mm. this this group of lenders um led by the state bank of india That's i think right. would essentially take a debt for equity uh, situation <laughs> and that crucially was going to release some funds but those funds don't seem to. There's no evidence. No, that's right. We, c- we can't see any evidence that, that that's come forward. So I think that the situation is particularly bleak, and you know that's why um, there's a mixture of news reports. You know, it's not. It's, it's fair to say our headline says they're on the brink, and it does feel like that because, as you say, there's no evidence that 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 money came forward that that was necessary to keep keep them running. And I think the question is now. Um, even speaking while we're doing this podcast, you know, we, we can't be sure whether they, they can keep operations going for long enough for, for a new investor or Etihad, for example, who have been heavily rumoured to be yes. interested. So in Etihad were yeah. already uh, uh, were one of the original investors. Jet was obviously one of their, their major equity investments that they made. Mm. 
both um, as obviously as part of this debt restructuring deal, both Etihad and um, the airlines uh, jets founder and chairman Naresh Goyal have reduced their um, their stakes part of that. Mm. But the long term plan, both Etihad and Goyal, have been linked with um, with interest in buying that exactly that, that yeah. stake, which is up to seventy five percent. I think. Yes, I think so. I don't, I'm not sure the complications around it. Obviously, Etihad being an overseas investor, I think there were rumours they'd, they'd have to look at 49%. But, um, but yeah, exactly. Both of them um, have been, in, according to reports, have been showing interest. But we're, we're waiting to... So crucial meetings happening as we speak. By the That's time right. you're hearing this, things will have moved on again. Yeah. Um, I suppose more crucially, India, it's both a, a massive opportunity market, but it's, but it's challenging as well. That's right. And I think the, the capacity issue there is obviously partly behind what, what, what jets are experiencing. Um, in common with some other markets, there's been so much capacity going into India. There's, there's a, a few, obviously, fairly sizable airlines operating there. And I think the um, on some routes, particularly the fares have been incredibly challenging. So while uh, fuel prices ticked up a bit towards the end of last year. Combine that with fares being on the floor in on, in a lot of routes, um, and yeah, it's, it's challenging. And obviously, we've seen Air India as well in, in not in the best of health. <laughs> that, that's had a challenging uh, a sales process. Yeah. Um, and I, and I guess all the while this is happening, you've you had the likes of Indigo and SpiceJet, which uh, is also you know had a hit to their um, mm. their prof- profits last year, but would continued their growth because of the the opportunity to to develop that market and that's the thing for jet really i mean aside from the financial um, situation they're in uh, for everything that's happening now they're just falling further and be- further behind because of the rapid growth in india and i'm sure that those other carriers won't be upset that some capacity's dropped out and given them a bit more room to and they've, to and they've also spice jet this morning has announced a series of new uh, international routes from mumbai which is uh, jet's right. main main base so it's a challenging story mm. um, <laughs> and an evolving story. That's it, because any investor that comes in now is essentially going to have to build it up from from scratch. There's obviously questions about the, the, how much the brand will have been damaged by this. I mean, you know, can you imagine booking a flight with, with Jet at the moment? Probably not, because I mean you're essentially down to a few domestic routes. So in terms of the consumer um, confidence in the brand, that that's something that's going to take a while to repair. As we were saying, on top of the fact that Jet lost ground, but maybe anyway. maybe one example in in India themselves they could look at might be SpiceJet, which mm. had you know, massive challenges itself two or three years ago. Yeah, turned around by 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 its founder, and yeah, it's a good example where um, they they were cancelling flights. They were uh, you know the future of the airline was in doubt whether it was quite as severe as this. I, I I'm not sure, but um. But certainly, yeah, it's not not all is not lost, but there is certainly going to take a, a lot to turn this around. I think. So, uh, Jet Jet Airways has been dominating the headlines, but mm. another Jet Jet Blue created his own headlines um, with news of uh, a kind of uh, transatlantic expansion. That's right, another kind of big story breaking just as we were going to press overnight on on the Thursday. So it's it's kind of been a open secret, I guess it's fair to say, that Jet Blue were. <laughs> were interested in the transatlantic market and they finally confirmed that um, in 2021 they're going to launch transatlantic services to London using the um, A321LR, mm-hmm. which they've, they've got coming in. So a really interesting development in that market where, for a start, it's facing strong competition and I don't think it was a coincidence that a few days earlier um, Virgin Atlantic and 
and Delta announced two new routes from Gatwick to New York and Boston, which are <laughs> precisely the the two routes that that well, I'm not sure the airports are exactly the same, but certainly the two. Yeah, certainly cities Bos- Boston and New York. Yeah. I mean, JetBlue's been quite interesting because it's confirmed the US airports from uh, Boston mm. and, and uh, JFK. But at the moment, it's keeping open its options in terms of which London airports. Exactly, and that that um, I know that um, Robin Hayes was actually in London on on Thursday. Um, yeah, the day after it was it was announced that that they were launching these these routes, and he was um, very much um, uh, suggesting that, um, that regulatory authorities need to um, do more to help these the the kind of smaller players in the markets. So we've got these huge um, joint ventures. Um, that appear to be getting stronger. So you've got Virgin Atlantic potentially joining in with, with Air France and, and Delta um, very soon. Um, obviously, you've got the the One World players with BA and American. So, um, and you've got obviously Norwegian as well, uh, are fairly big in that market. What's interesting with JetBlue, obviously, it's um, it's built up its kind of domestic presence or it's it's america's presence anyway and and now it's kind of perhaps from a position of strength moving into that market which was i think what makes it particularly interesting uh, yes i think i think even to the extent to which it's looking to tap that premium market Mm. because it it already has that mint premium cabin which it already deployed and and it's talked of very strongly uh Mm. i I suppose the airline would but uh, i think um it's, it seems to have a good reputation in the industry and from those that use it. And I think, as JetBlue has said, that that's going to be absolutely pivotal, really, to this this move. I think that the premium cabin's going to make or break, you know, the success or otherwise with this um, this project. So, and as you say, it is it's fairly well received. It's it's won awards. It's um, so that that's really and uh, they were talking about you know the the kind of fares they could look to offer. Mm. They were saying the market's not massively different to some of the longer um, transcontinental sort of flights they do it's only an hour longer than some of their their current current flights so it's not in that in, in those terms it's not a huge difference in terms of maybe how they'll pitch the product to the the consumer so they, they yeah it'll be really interesting if they can if they can carry on offering that that mint product to the standard they've been able to so far and slash fares in half for example then yeah it could really yeah, um, be a big disruptor in that market, I think, and and, and that market, ev- everyone is looking at it. That that's sort of somewhere between um, premium leisure, or whether it's mm. premium, it's it, 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 it's it's finding different um, uh, ways of flying, different routes to connect across the transatlantic, and obviously Norwegian has been a, a, a real catalyst mm. on that. We've already seen, as you, you talked about, Virgin Atlantic. Um, making some, some moves there. BA has obviously um, reignited its uh, Gatwick uh, transatlantic connections. Mm. And that market is, is 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 massively competitive. We have seen, not specifically from London, but for uh, that transatlantic market, uh, obviously WOW as a, another example of, of a carrier that has found it very very difficult and ultimately ran out of time. That's right. So, so WOW Air um, has been... It was only, uh, you know, Sort of eighteen months ago, they were they were looking all right. They were they were profitable. I think there's partly a symptom of some struggles in that Icelandic market, really, where it was really buoyed um, over a number of years post financial crash, where mm. it attracted a lot of, of tourism and because it was um, so. But but since then, yeah, that that uh, Wow Air about uh, a year ago started getting into quite 
severe financial trouble. It had to cut its fleet. It made a lot of redundancies. And then it went through, obviously, the process of Indigo Partners potentially investing and then Iceland Air twice being linked with an investment and neither of them coming off. So it's um, eventually fell over. And Iceland Air themselves have not been doing particularly great financially. And they were talking about, I think, ludicrous fares in the market being a problem, obviously implying that that, that potentially the, the, the competition was was kind of they were killing each other through through having that competition on those routes so um so yeah wow air's fallen over and i think what's interesting for JetBlue is um the whole low cost long haul concept really how 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 that plays out you know there's a temptation to suggest it's it's not looking great at the moment but maybe JetBlue can revitalize that, that kind of market with their their move and a lot of those uh that market has been developed off the back of new aircraft and obviously JetBlue taking the A321LRs. The other tool for that, of course, is the 737 MAX. And we'll talk more about the problems with that after the break. Alongside the usual issues of airline business, the team will be in South Korea at the beginning of June to cover this year's IATA AGM. So if you're visiting, look out for our three special daily issues of the magazine that will be produced on site. And if you're not visiting, you can also view them online at flightglobal.com forward slash airline business. So the grounding of the Boeing 737 MAX after the fatal Ethiopian Airlines crash um, continues to have ripples and, and, and more than ripples, big effects for airlines in the, in the market. That's right. So for the, this issue of, of airline business, I kind of had a look into the data really around thinking about the actual airline impact. So obviously the, the impact on Boeing itself is, is huge, but actually looking at how many are in service. So we're looking at around 370 in service um, difficult to judge that because um, actually, as we were just talking about Jet Airways situation, they had a few maxes, but I think they were all grounded at the, around the time of the Ethiopian crash. But generally around 370 in service. Some of the bigger operators like American and China Southern, make, it makes up a fairly small proportion of their fleet. So while they had 24 each in service, for example, you're looking at like four yeah, or less percentage-wise mm. in terms of the number of seats. But for some of the... Um, the most affected airlines, again, someone we were just talking about in the in part one, actually, SpiceJet, for example, uh, had 13 MAX aircraft in service at the time of the grounding. So that was around 22% of their all of their seats in their fleet. So you can see that that there's a lot of airlines. I was near the top of the list in terms of that proportion of Fly Dubai, Air Italy, um, Smartwings, the, mm. the Czech operator. Um, and they, they've already said they've had to the cancel about 8% of their summer flying schedule because of um because of the max grounding so so while it was quite small when you look actually the proportion of max aircraft in the whole wide body um the whole wide body fleet is just around two and a half three percent so it's not not huge in terms of the passenger fleet um but actually for some airlines it's a big impact it's something they've 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 got to deal with and and it's a very specific you know they it's that aircraft model, it's it's being able to operate some of these these longer routes, especially uh, Transatlantic's a prime example, which mm. has opened up markets which could only be operated with a single aisle sized aircraft from a from a the economics perspective. Precisely, yeah. So it so it is a big deal. You look at um, I mean Iceland Air was, was one of the carriers affected by this. I mean they have brought in a couple of seven six sevens on lease, for example, but um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and another 757 on lease so there are some 
moves towards sort of slightly larger aircraft types maybe um to, to cover the the gap um norwegian who who yeah fairly significantly affected by this have have talked about redeploying 787s on some of those routes so um but the yeah, as you say that completely changes the the economics of the route yeah one of the big things about the max is obviously it's it's you're talking about kind of 15 percent fuel efficiency improvement over the the older generation type so I think the caveat of all of this is obviously that these airlines aren't going to be expecting to pay for this <laughs> themselves. So there's 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 obviously they'll be keeping, I'm sure, some fairly exhaustive lists of all these extra costs. But um, and of course we don't know, significant. we don't know how long this grounding will continue. Obviously, Boeing mm. working on uh, its software update, uh, mm. which I hopes will will be enough to get that aircraft back into into service. We don't know how long that will um, that will take yet. A couple of American carriers have obviously. Uh, already cancelled their max services through through august so um and i think a significant thing is at the moment the availability of leased aircraft for those seeking to to backfill that max capacity is 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 reasonable because it's but we're particularly for the northern hemisphere carriers we're going into the the summer season and and at that point it, it is going to get more expensive and harder um, to get um, that. and peak aircraft. summer is as you say um i mean last summer was difficult and mm. you know he had uh, one or two similar other um aircraft related issues which contributed to that and you have growing congestion and air traffic control disruption mm. uh, you know there's various elements that contribute to that but there's in those peak months particularly as that that is the that is the where the real growth comes uh for these uh, for mm. the airlines that's that's really tough to find the spare capacity it is, yeah, and even though they would be expected to be compensated, there's there's kind of upfront costs involved here, and and an organisation and changes to, to to what they're offering in terms of the schedule that inevitably comes from this. That you know, it's not really not going to help someone like Norwegian, who you're already kind of struggling a bit in the with fuel rising and things like that. This all of these kind of factors aren't 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 going to be welcome for them, even though, as I say, ultimately they would expect to get compensated for for what's going on so there, there are a lot while the as i say while the fleet was fairly small there are lots of airlines um kind of either adjusting their schedules you know shelling out for for leased aircraft or even putting expansion plans on hold but you know going back to talking about american they, they've cancelled a lot of flights but for them that that's not in the grand scheme mm. of their overall network it's a lot of flights but it's not not a big proportion, but for some of these other operators, this is it is a it's a genuine challenge. You've already seen TUI, for example, the tour operation in Europe, talking about um, the short term cost of around two hundred million euros impact on on their EBIT. I think um, from the grounding, I think through to mid July. So beyond that, you can see it's 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 significant for a lot lot of players. So that's certainly one of the the, the big challenges uh, currently ongoing. Um, I suppose the other issue that we've been looking at in the in the current issue um, is uh, is around you know quite an, quite an exciting thing for Europe. We talk about congestion, but you know the biggest uh, airport to open in Europe for generations. That's right. So Istanbul, sort of face value, it's it's a pretty strong story. So we've got it. It was only I think ground was only broken in twenty thirteen on this. The new airport for what isn't Turkey's capital, which I think <laughs> yes. uh, an eagle-eyed sub-editor pointed out to me uh, in a piece I wrote last year. Um, I knew that obviously, but uh, but um, but yes. So it is obviously in terms of its um, kind of commercial capital. So it's a, and it is a it's a massive hub. The 
Ataturk, the, the old airport, was uh, bursting at the seams. Um, uh, not so much. I mean, obviously, Turkey has been through a lot of difficult times mm. um, with security concerns, particularly around 2016 with the failed coup and, mm. and all the impact that had on travel. But sort of looking beyond that, um, it needed a new home. So this this new hub is kind of open. It's, it had some delays. I don't think... Uh, I think, uh, for example, Berlin would probably give anything to have suffered those. Uh, <laughs> Berlin would take yeah. the, the <laughs> three or four month uh, slippage in that. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's the size of, because uh, it, it, it begins with a, what, an operating capacity. 90 million, I think, yeah. Yeah, to begin with a, an airport that size, that is, and it was a, a big old transition when it did happen towards the start of um, April, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So I think, I think they have kind of um, put some kind of r- room for... <laughs> in their schedule um, in the in the first couple of weeks of operation but but essentially yeah it was an overnight transition from Ataturk there were some operations that had been going on for a couple of months at the new airport but the real kind of big changeover happened over the I think the 5th and 6th of April mm. so that involved moving fer- ferry flights just 40 kilometers I think to the to new airport and then it's been ramping up since then so yeah a massive operation and again um, you, you can't you know that that it's an achievement to get that up and running. I think the the, the real thing with Turkey and um, on the one hand you've got Turkish Airlines, which is is seeing growth. It's got massive fleet plans for expansion. It's in terms of geographically, it's it's brilliantly positioned because it's within reach of so much of Europe and and Asia relatively easily. So it it has got that potential to rival the the Gulf hubs in that sense. But obviously the the issue in Turkey, I think, is the one the the economy. So it's gone into recession in. In recent months, that a lot of the economic indicators are are problematic, and I think mm. the Erdogan, the the president, has had some a, a, a difficult recent election where um, I, I'm not sure what the ultimate outcome will be of, of that, but it looked like his party were in danger of losing control of um, key cities. So, um, on the one hand, there's great potential. On the other hand, Turkey is probably not the place you would choose at the moment to be opening this mega hub of all these ambitions so it's, it's a fascinating um story from that point of view and i think the potential is undoubted though i think that's the thing absolutely and the istanbul growth story all fits into the wider pitch we have in this issue which is of the 100 biggest airports of last year by passenger number uh, the, with atlanta airport leading the way again that's right. So Atlanta's top, but there's a second airport. I think going over the hundred million mark. Is that right? Is that in yes? Beijing? Uh, so Beijing has passed mm. that mark. Um, uh, only the second airport to do that, and uh, Beijing's been growing absolutely uh, massively. Traffic there, obviously, along the China's growth to the extent that they'll be opening a, a second airport there later this year. Uh, Daxing, I think it's pronounced. Uh, yeah, I'll go with you. you on that, word. Yeah. <laughs> and the Chinese market is is a fascinating one, and we're going to be hearing a little bit more about that after the break. If you are enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating or review in your podcast app. One of the emerging private carriers making its mark in the Chinese market is Shanghai-based Junyao Air. The carrier took its first Dreamliners at the back end of last year as part of a major international expansion. In her last assignment for airline business, before moving on to pastures new, Mavis To interviewed the Junyao chairman, Wang Junjin, and I caught up with Mavis to find out more about the airline and the wider Chinese market. Mavis, for anyone who doesn't know a great deal about Junyao, what's their story? 
I saw them actually sometime in February in Shanghai. So it's quite an interesting airline, Junior Airlines. It's a Chinese carrier, um, obviously. Airline was started by three brothers. So what they did was they actually started in 19, I think 1991 or so. They were operating charter services. So at that time, they were just doing charter services. And um, there was some frustration, you know, over how each time they successfully um, built a route, um, a scheduled carrier would actually take the route back. So uh, Wang Junjing, who is the chairman of um, Junior Airlines, he sat down and he said, you know, we need to start our own scheduled airlines. And that's how um, Junior actually started. So officially, Junior started flying um, scheduled services in 2006. Um, it is based out of Shanghai, which is the um, financial center of China. Um, it has about 16% of its flights out of Shanghai Pudong International Airport, and the rest of it is out of the more central um, Hongqiao International Airport. Um, Jinyao, they are actually quite a relatively sizable player. They have about 70 aircraft in their fleet. They are not so much known internationally, largely because the, the, the network until now has been focused on domestic services. And are they looking at expanding internationally? Definitely. And um, actually, they do already fly to some international points. These are mostly regional points in, um, you know, Japan, Korea, Thailand, Philippines, and also to Singapore. Um, but last year, they, they took their first 787. And the premise of the 787 order, um, they have 10 aircraft on order. Um, the premise of that is actually also to start intercontinental services. So I believe they will be flying to um, Helsinki, their first intercontinental service, um, sometime in the middle of the year, I think. And then after that, they've also applied for, you know, rights to Melbourne and also to London. Um, so, yeah, it's actually quite, quite a big part of their focus this year will be ongoing international. As a private carrier in China, how do they work with other established operators in the country? Um, Junior has always worked quite closely with some of the state-owned carriers. And this year, its relationship with um, China Eastern Airlines got even closer. So um, th- actually, this year, China Eastern Airlines, um, it bought into a 15% stake into Junyao Airlines. And Junyao will also in turn be taking up to a 10% stake in China Eastern so this is also part of um, the Chinese government push for more um, private and um, and state-owned partnerships. What the government is essentially driving at is, you know, to make um, some of these state-owned enterprises more um, efficient and um, to be more in line with um, corporate practices. And the airline is also part of Star Alliance? Yes, um, Jinao Airlines. Um, it joined Star Alliance as a connecting partner in 2017. Um, so they became the first connecting partner f- um, for Star Alliance, um, largely because Star Alliance has a gap in, in um, Shanghai and Junyao fits quite nicely there. So um, interestingly, China Eastern is um, a Sky Team player, as we know, and um, but at the same time, Junyao is actually a star partner. 
so Jinyao has since um, coming on board with um, Star Alliance. It has partnered with about, I think, six Star Alliance carriers. And it's interesting times for the alliances in the region as China Southern has just left Sky Team. Yeah, um, China Southern um, left Sky Team at the start of the year. So we are probably going to see some, you know, loose um, partnerships and um, collaborations among the different airlines. That was quite a big move for, for China Southern. And when Jinyao joined Star Alliance, it also made clear that, you know, um, even if it is it is a connecting partner, it will continue its collaboration with um, China Eastern. So they've, they've, they've said it quite clearly from the start that just because we are a connecting partner at Star Alliance now doesn't mean that we are going to drop all our other partnerships with um, carriers from the other alliances. On the wider Chinese market, we've seen a lot of international and intercontinental expansion from the Chinese carriers in recent years. Is that something we're likely to continue to see? Um, I, th- I think um, what, what will be interesting to note this year is actually the opening of um, the passing International Airport in Beijing. So that is um, highly anticipated. Every airline out there, they want a, a slice of the traffic out of Beijing, which is um, obviously, um, the the capital of China. It's also the historical and political center of China. Um, so, China Southern Airlines and China Eastern Airlines, they both said that they will be anchor um, tenants and operators out of um, Baxing, and they have grand plans for you know lots of international intercontinental services um, out of Beijing. Um, what we need to see is actually how the the CAAC, which is the um, Chinese regulator, how they will actually divide the slots and the routes. Because for the longest time, China has the policy of just having one airline flying on a particular long-haul route. This is largely to, um, to protect the market and to ensure that there, there is no oversupply and um, too much um, competition. Yeah, but everybody wants to fly um, intercontinental, especially out of Beijing. So I think with the opening of the new airport, um, th- there will be a lot of um, applications that the CAAC will be receiving. Interesting times ahead. Mavis, thank you. So that's all for this time. You can find links to the stories we have referenced, including Mavis's cover interview with Junyao in the podcast notes. If you've enjoyed the podcast and can spare the time, please leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back again in May. In the meantime, you can stay up to date on breaking airline news stories at flightglobal.com. See you next time.